1: I just wanted to deeply and sincerely apologize for not boosting your fragile little ego while addressing both of you on Facebook. I am so, so, so sorry. But who can actually blame me? Because I never listened to A Doubt it With Dolomore.
2: The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dallimore. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this 350th episode of your listener-produced, listener-supported I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host jesse dollamore and sitting across from me my talented pseudo-intellectual (laughs) co-host the lovely and 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 wonderful Brittany page
3: (laughs) uh spoiler alert little
2: little little teaser yeah of something that is to come
3: something very kind and uplifting
2: i also am joined (laughs) we are also joined yes by someone who is an Ivy League educated... I, it's getting it's getting tired. Just
3: say the third cuck.
2: Yeah. The third... The, thir- <laughs>
4: <laughs> the you, third cuck, Drew Levine. Well, you know, that intro does get better with age. It's like a fine wine. <laughs> so <laughs> the you cuck might one or the th- Ivy League educated lawyer? The, the, that first one. But <laughs> the, the second one, I think, is getting a little stale. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's
3: only okay if you do it. Because if he were to do it, then he'd be like Donald Trump.
2: That's right. Which yeah. we're going to... Spoiler alert. Oh, sorry. We're, 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 we're going to get there, too.
3: All kinds of spoilers. So before we
2: do, though, we have some sad news. There are many, many listeners to the show who communicate with us on a regular basis and have become, uh, I don't know if I'd say super fans, but they are host favorites, not fan favorites. And we received some bad news this week about one of our absolute favorites in the Netherlands, Nikki.
3: We got this email from her brother. Hello, Jesse and Brittany. I'm sorry I have to send this by email. Nikki has passed away this evening in the presence of Wilco and her family. She went peacefully without any pain or regrets. My sister has always listened to your podcasts with a big smile and was a huge fan. Thank you for inspiring her.
2: And this is uh, h- hard, hard news for Brittany and I. Um, she was an early, an early listener of the show.
3: Yeah.
2: And also, early to catch the spirit, as you heard in the the, the drop at the beginning. Yes. She she caught on that we were we were making fun and and making light and being self deprecating. Is a okay in our book. We we, we loved it. And the, the moments that we had with her um, directly communicating on, on video calls and chat sessions were were beautiful moments that I that I won't forget. And I want to take a moment to share with you guys a little bit about who Nikki was and what I did is I went back and I pulled the two different times that she participated in our Thanksgiving episode. And I want to share those with you as well as a letter that Wilco, her her boyfriend, fiance, significant other, shared with us to read to her on a Thanksgiving episode. So here we go.
1: This year I have a lot of things to be thankful for. I'm thankful for my family, my brothers, who've grown into wonderful men, husbands, and fathers, my sisters-in-law who are loving and caring and amazingly smart and fiercely independent. My nieces and my nephew who've shown me that I have a love inside of me greater than I ever thought possible. My mother's best friends who sort of adopted us after her death and who've become family in their own right. I'm thankful for my best friend who's shown me the true meaning of friendship. I'm thankful that I have someone in my life who gives and doesn't demand, who helps me grow and learn new things each and every day. I'm thankful for old acquaintances who've become new friends. I'm also thankful for the unexpected but amazing turn my life has taken after losing my sight. I honestly thought for a while that my life was over, but then I discovered a talent I never knew I had, painting. I'm thankful for the new direction my life has taken as a blind artist and the chance I have to develop and grow as a painter. I'm thankful for the great people I get to work with here and abroad. I'm thankful for my guide dog Zoe who keeps me safe and makes my life a hell of a lot easier. I am thankful for living in an age of miracles and wonders with technologies that make it possible for me to be completely independent. And I'm thankful for those technologies that make us all into neighbours, whether we live one mile or a thousand miles apart. In short, I'm thankful for this crazy and Amazing and at times terrifying, but mostly wonderful journey I'm on, filled with unexpected opportunities Surrounded by people whom I love and who love me These are the things that make life truly worth living
2: Now what she says there is more Profound and true or just as true as then as it is today, that we are friends with her. We feel that loss. Having never met her, we don't know Nikki personally. Well, we do. We do, and it's the technology and the ability to cross the ocean. And I'm thankful for that. Nikki was a beautiful person. I don't know exactly what the circumstance was that she lost her sight, but she was a badass and did not let it stop her. She picked up painting after having lost her sight, and we have seen some of her work, and it is awesome. Unbelievable. Um, that was the, the 2015 Th- Thanksgiving episode, and this was the next year and things had changed but that indomitable spirit of hers remained
1: to be honest until a few moments ago I wasn't sure I was going to submit anything for the Thanksgiving show Um, this year has been a really bad year for me had a health crisis at the beginning of this year then my dog got cancer and on election day of all days I found out that I have cancer. So no, I don't feel like I have a lot to be thankful for. But on Tuesday evening, my friends, my family all came together and they've shown me so much support throughout this year and now they're doing it again they're taking care of biz making sure that i have everything i need all the support i need (laughs) they're taking care of my dog i have lovely people taking care of my dog now that i can't do it i have tons of people helping me out around the house being there through my bad days i don't know what the future is going to hold for me it's going to be a tough and scary time But I do know that I have so many friends and such a good family who love me and who are willing to drop everything for me. And that really is something to be thankful for. It doesn't make it better, but it does make it bearable. So this year, I'm thankful for my brothers, for my sisters-in-law, for my partner, for my best friend, but all the other friends and family who were there for me taking care of everything thank you
3: i think um something that that you said is we don't we don't know her personally right but through her sending in these communications i feel like we were able to understand her character yeah and even just listening to her there you know describing the bad news that she got and you're able to see that She just has this spirit, um, this indomitable will that is truly remarkable. And um, I'm thankful that we're always going to have those messages. Yeah. Because they're inspiring. I mean, listening to that right now, it's difficult not to get emotional because of the loss, but also because of how inspiring what she said is.
4: Yeah. And And then... Go ahead, Drew. Sorry. uh, You know, obviously... I've only been around for a short amount of time and I didn't get to connect with Nikki the way that you guys did. But I just want to say that I'm really grateful for you guys for creating a platform where someone who is as awesome as Nikki is and her has that kind of character can feel safe to be vulnerable in the way that she was when she called into the show. So I just think this is—it's really a testament to the wonderful work that you guys are doing and what you are bringing to the world. So I—I I think you guys should be proud of that too.
2: No, oh, I appreciate it. Um, next, and th- this will be it. Um, we might close with some remarks, but um, Wilco, her partner, wrote in. Well, we kind of explained it. It was on last year's um, episode. And he wanted to su- uh, su- surprise her with a letter he had written to her, read by Brittany and. Oh, uh, here it is. This is new. In our three years of doing this episode, this is this is a new thing. We got a request yesterday mm-hmm. via Facebook.
3: Right. From the significant other of a listener.
2: A longtime loyal listener.
3: Right. And he wanted us to read a letter from him to the listener, Nikki. And we have known Nikki for a while now and we've never met her but we're very fond of her and she's been a long time listener and supporter of this show absolutely and we recently found out that she is sick and he wanted us to read this letter to her and i'm not going to be able to make it through the letter without crying um because when i found out the news um about the listener. I was obviously very upset. Um, So I'm going to read the letter, which is very beautiful. And uh, Nikki, this is from Wilco. Hola, Pandora. How's life on that side? Well, and you? It's also good with me. Thank you. Tell me why the name Pandora? Because I have a big secret. Wow, I love secrets. So tell me that's for later. Why for later? Is something terrible coming from you? It's okay to tell me now. Okay, if you really want to know, I'm blind. Hello, love, Nikki. That was on the 23rd of May in 2013. And about that moment, I still think so often. Also, about the moment you stood for me for the first time. I saw you, your sweet face, your eyes, you. Your movements, so beautiful, super intelligent, sweet, creative, attractive, honest, open, perceptive, witty, opinionated, funny, powerful, and vulnerable, all at the same time. Eager to learn, social, and loving. And still, I forget things. On me, you have a crushing impression, and you do that still. Now we know what we want from each other, sometimes without a word. Sometimes we irritate each other. Although we may take each other for granted sometimes, on days like today, I am once again just thinking about how lucky I am. I'm happy for the fact that I live with a special woman, you, and I already knew that from the moment I met you. You fascinate and inspire me. You have a positive influence on me, and to think it was those kind of emotions I no longer wanted. I can say that every time I put my arms around you, it feels like home. You are the subject of my desire, and for these few years, the reason for my existence. I love you very much. There are no written words that can describe my love for you. And now, now you're sick. And I'm also sick. I know that you already know this, but I would like to very clearly emphasize that I will continue to stand beside you, and you can always count on me. I love you, Nikki Wilco.
2: And he did. So, to wrap this up, because we need to move on with the show. We love you, Nikki. We've appreciated your contributions. And that that which we learned from you. Death is obviously an, a a natural part of life. It happens, it sucks, it's shitty. Those who remain swim in its wake, its destructive path that it creates. I think the best way to honor Nikki and her memory is to continue doing what she would. Her example that she set in her life, which is fucking dominance. With an attitude, being a winner, she was. Anyway, thank you guys. We appreciate you uh, for (laughs) putting up with that personal moment. Um... adding to something Drew said, not adding, but springboarding from it, it does make me feel good that all of us together, Brittany and I and the audience and our, our, our many regular guests on the show, we're able to share in something pretty special here. You know, it's not every... It's not every stupid podcast that creates bonds and relationships like this or has moments like this and I am beyond words pleased exceptionally happy that we're able to share sad times I don't know exactly what the phrase is, but... um, Without moments of darkness and sadness... How... Are you truly able to appreciate... Real... Real happiness. Because if your life is fucking sunshine and rainbows all the time, that's all you know. And you can't, there's no way to appreciate how good it is unless you have something to compare it against. And it's moments like this that bring into perspective everything that we all really truly have. So. We're gonna take a break. It's not. It's not gonna be any time for you. Um, but I need to blow my nose and get my shit together. Is there anything else you guys want to? No. Okay. I'll just offer my
4: amen to everything you just said. All right.
2: We'll be right back. something funny. <clears throat> All right. We are back. Blink of an eye. My glasses are foggy, but we are going to press on. Persevere. Let's move on to an email that we received uh, this morning, in fact, uh, from a listener. And uh, someone needs to turn their phone off because that <laughs> is not how podcasts work. That's not me. Drew, that phone should be on silent, sir. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, Brittany, if you would uh, read this uh, very positive, uplifting message from a loyal listener.
3: Enough with the self-aggrandizing pseudo-intellectual special episodes. No one wants to hear a bunch of whiny PhD grad students yield the floor to each other so they can talk about irrelevant, arbitrary nonsense. Your show used to be great, but now its idleness of specious unoriginality grates on my nerves like a broken clockwork septic tank. You're not George Santayana. I don't know who that is or how to say it. I'm so elitist. Yeah, I'm
2: not. I'm, I, I'm <laughs> such an intellectual that I don't know who the fuck that is.
3: George Harrison or King George III, but more like a modern George Bush, spewing nonsense because you fall for the myth that having a degree gives you some ardent mind that you just have to share with the world. Your show is now like this pseudo-intellectual one i must say the realm cartesian notions of essence schemes in expressive babylon astrologers don't you agree pseudo-intellectual two here here it's all about the aspect of endurance abstraction from transition and assuming certain types of entities that all pervade patterns of behavior my degree tells me so pseudo-intellectual three god i assume that's me <laughs> no. That uh, has to be me. What do you mean <laughs> I
2: know. You? I'm joking. God damn.
3: Grad school and even high school are over with. Move on for fuck's sakes. Love, Marla.
2: Love, Marla. I can tell there was a lot of love in that email. A lot of love of looking words up before she sent it in. So
3: Marla didn't like the episode with Nikki.
2: Apparently, that's the case.
3: Apparently, she thinks that grad school is over. So grad school is not over for Nick. Actually, he's in his last year. He's a doctoral candidate. So he still is in grad school. He's getting his Ph.D. Well,
2: can I say something first right away?
3: No one's ever
2: claimed on this show to be an intellectual ever. Come (laughs) the fuck on. What show are you listening to if you think I claim I'm some lofty, over-his-shit the his
4: shit intellectual? Get the fuck out of here. I gotta say that that email reminded me a lot of freshman English. <laughs> with the excessive uh, adjectives. Yeah. You put, yeah. like, an adjective in front of everything that where you want to emphasize a point.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I just... I don't, um, appreciate the email. (laughs) Um, I understand that someone might feel this way. I don't understand it because that's not what was happening on that episode. And if you weren't interested in Nick's research, then that's fine. I do think it's interesting. And I don't like these people. It's almost like when um, people say, oh, you're virtue signaling because you actually care about important issues. Like you must not be genuine. Yeah. As though if you're interested in some research that someone else is not interested in, you're a pseudo intellectual and just feigning interest in that to appear as though you're an intellectual. No, people are actually interested in these issues. Uh, Same with the moral dilemma debate. Uh, Can science answer questions of what's right and wrong? I'm actually interested in that. I enjoyed attending that event. I enjoyed being up there with those people. And
2: so did the over 200, I have no idea, but over 200 people who took time out of their goddamn day, their evening, to sit on the floor and watch it happen.
4: Well, When when you're speaking in a context where you have to be careful about what you say so that you don't overstate the case or you don't say something that's inaccurate, Mm -hmm. sometimes I think it can come off as though you're being like overly meticulous about your words. Mm -hmm. And so I think some people sometimes perceive that as self-aggrandizement. But, you know, if you're talking about really serious subjects and you're somebody who is doing serious work, it's important to be careful about your words. Yeah. And so taking those pauses is a necessary thing. Yeah. Uh, get the fuck out. it. You know, here, here's, here's, we're going to wrap with this.
3: Oh,
2: Marla, if the show used to be good for you and it's not good for you, I have the sure fire method by which not to be irritated by it anymore. Uh-oh. Turn it the fuck off. Uh-oh. There's an off button. There's a goddamn stop button on your podcast thing. There's certainly a stop button. If you're listening on the website, If I could ban you from the show, I would ban you from the fucking show just for your own mental health. Get the fuck out of here. I'm not a a self-aggrandizing anything. I'm an asshole who happens to be in a lucky position to have a fucking microphone. And a couple of people want to hear what I have to say. So if that bothers you, Get the fuck out of here and turn it off.
3: Okay. I... I will say that I appreciate if if I sound like I talk like this, that's great because I'm white trash and I come from white trash. And if someone hears this when I'm talking, I am super happy. Over the moon. <laughs> that is great. That is perfect.
4: <laughs> well, I'm appreciating this episode so far because we are seeing all the extremes of Jess- Jesse's emotional spectrum. You
2: mean real. <laughs> yeah, this is the real deal. I'm glad we took a few minutes there in between. Yeah.
3: We shouldn't have. We should have just <laughs> played it out.
2: Oh, I probably would have been a little bit more mellow. And see
3: how you reacted tomorrow in uh, that you know, case.
2: Turn it off. You don't like it. Anybody That goes for anybody. You don't like it? Turn it off. Why were you listening if you don't fucking like it? Why would you torture yourself? Create some angsty, anxiety-riddled fucking situation in your mind because you don't like what three assholes on the radio are saying. Get the fuck out of here. Turn it <laughs> off. <laughs> How, goddamn.
3: how long do you think the email took to write?
2: Well, I don't know. How long do you think it took to Look, look up all those words? Well, everything.
3: Well, I'm not even saying that. I'm just saying there, it was like expertly crafted with the quotation marks around who was talking. I think I read it really well. I think it was meant to be read by me.
2: <laughs> well, when, my
3: voice <laughs> paired well with the attitude, I think, that was coming across. When someone,
2: someone writes words. an email, they certainly don't think I'm going to read it. Yeah. I'm what? the goddamn guy. I'm not the, the, the
4: hoity-toity language guy. Well, this is also part of like a, a theme and something that you've expressed some frustration about, Brittany, where people sort of treat you differently because you've engaged in your scholarly pursuits. Yeah. And I can, see, I mean, it's clear that this has touched a nerve. <laughs> All right. It well, listen, I know,
2: I know it's going to be difficult to go from "get the fuck out of here" to this, but
3: I just banged my moving
2: goes. on. just kidding
3: yeah Neil
2: Neil (laughs) thank you very much sir for putting up with three dick faces who want to run their fucking mouths like they're smart episode after episode
3: oh people from Phoenix are Phoenicians (laughs) (laughs)
2: listen thank you guys all of you who take time out of your schedule to listen to us self-aggrandize those of you who who love listening to us self-aggrandize enough to give of your hard earned money. That is not something that we take for granted. Every single dollar, every single contribution that we receive means a lot to us because it represents the building of this community that I talked about earlier. We love you guys, we appreciate you, every single one of you, whether you give or not. Um, We are very happy with what is happening.
3: And do not forget to send in those Thanksgiving messages. They have been coming in. Thank you so much to those of you who have submitted. If you haven't...
2: Nikki's messages would give kind of an example of what the the episode is. Exactly.
3: So if you haven't heard them, those were taken directly from the episodes. So... Yeah, I
2: didn't put the music in for this particular episode. I just copy and pasted her moment. From those particular episodes.
3: Yeah, and that music is in the Thanksgiving yeah. episodes. So send those in, record a voice memo. Do not send us an email, record a voice memo. Uh, don't include your name, it's anonymous. Just send us a voice memo, what you're thankful for, and we look forward to putting that together.
2: All right. We love you guys. Stalemocracy facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So we have been talking about the the issues that are starting to arise relative to Donald Trump's own party. Senator Corker, Jeff Flake, John McCain. We're going to get into this. Uh, John McCain gave an interview, I believe, with uh, PBS in which he talked about the Vietnam era and some of the, the problems that arose out of it. And one was... The draft and how you're there's a disparity in the draft about people who are joining and drafted who are at at a in a low socioeconomic status. Poor kids, many people of color who don't have a choice, one because it's the draft, and really they don't have a choice even if they weren't going into Vietnam because they didn't have options. Much like it is today, except we don't have a draft juxtaposed against the wealthy, who were able to finagle and get their kids out of serving their country. Here's what Senator McCain, again, remember, the almost six years tortured in a POW camp at the hands of the North Vietnamese, John McCain.
5: The legacies of Vietnam is that we, before we get into a conflict, we'd better have a strategy and a capability to win. And it was, this was one of these gradual drip, drip, drip involvements. Started out with a, a thing called the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, where there was supposedly, and it's still not clear to this day, confrontation between Vietnamese ship and, or ships and American ships, which then led to a resolution rammed through by Lyndon Johnson to a, a, a complete lack of focus and strategy on how to bring it to a close. And I'm very sympathetic because the one thing that overrode most of Lyndon Johnson's thinking appropriately was China. That we certainly didn't want to have a confrontation and a conflagration that would lead to a a real conflict there. So it cautioned all of our actions so that it was a very gradual escalation which then not only didn't harm the enemy but it strengthened their resolve and uh, that led of course to all kinds of implications and repercussions The, the new age, the use of drugs, demonstrations. Right out here on this mall there was a million people or however many it was that it really split our society in a way that uh, that we uh, sometimes forget. Mass arrests, demonstrations, Chicago uh, that all of us can look back and see on (laughs) C-SPAN. But it, it was a tumultuous time and most of it was bred by the conflict. And one aspect of the conflict, by the way, that I will never ever countenance is that we drafted The lowest income level of America and the highest income level found a doctor that would say that they had a bone spur. That is wrong. That is wrong. If we're going to ask every American (laughs) to serve, every American should serve.
2: Ah, you go, John McCain. Listen, I've got my problems with John McCain, but... Actually, I have a problem even right now with John McCain because when asked to, to, to specify... He's walking it back like, oh, I wasn't talking about Donald Trump. I think we all know.
3: Well, he didn't say I wasn't talking about Donald Trump. You're talking about The View?
2: Yeah, well, I don't know where he said it.
3: Okay, well, he was asked on The View. I didn't watch it. I heard someone, someone told me about it. And, (laughs) um, he said that he's, he's just speaking generally about wealthy Americans who either had a migraine or a a bone spur. So he was, he was kind of walking it back by saying, you know, adding in migraine, but I mean, he's talking about Donald Trump. We all know what he's talking about. Of
4: course he is. I mean, I'm comfortable with him doing that and just letting it be the secret language of people who actually are intelligent and care to analyze this stuff.
3: Don't be an elitist. Drew. Not
4: not this. <laughs> I mean, he gives plausible deniability to like Sarah Huckabee Sanders, where she can just say, "Oh no, 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 he wasn't talking about the president."
2: But the rest of us rational people, we, we know, yeah. we know what's happening. Because bone wasn't like the go-to thing. It's what Donald Trump's doctor chose.
4: Right? Yeah, that's a pretty specific ailment.
2: Yeah, that, he, that he called out right there. <laughs> well, another Arizona Republican who has chosen not to run for reelection. Jeff Flake announced his, quote-unquote, retirement on the Senate floor. Here are a few excerpts. We're going to have stuff to talk about because Jeff Flake's not a good guy. Let's not get it twisted here, folks. (laughs) Jeff Flake is a uh, homo, hostile, anti-gay marriage, extreme right-wing conservative. He's an Arizona conservative.
3: You know, aside from that, what's been bothering me about all this is these these people waited until they were no longer seeking re-election to yeah. come out and start saying these things. So I don't really care um, because until someone who has something to lose comes out and shows their spine, yeah. I, I don't really, I'm not impressed by this.
2: Corker included. But here is Jeff Flake. Here's a, a few excerpts from his uh, his retirement announcement on the floor of the United States Senate.
6: Sustained incumbency is certainly not the point of seeking office. And there are times when we must risk our careers in favor of our principles. Now is such a time. We must stop pretending that the degradation of our politics and the conduct of some in our executive branch are normal. They are not normal. Reckless, outrageous, and undignified behavior has become excused and countenanced as telling it like it is when it is actually just reckless, outrageous, and and undignified. When a leader correctly identifies real hurt and insecurity in our country and instead of addressing it goes to look for someone to blame, there is perhaps nothing more devastating to a pluralistic society. We have fooled ourselves for long enough that a pivot to governing is right around the corner. We know better than that. When the next generation asks us, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you speak up? What are we going to say? Mr. President, I rise today to say, enough. I have children and grandchildren to answer to. And so, Mr. President, I will not be complicit or silent. If I have been critical, it is not because I relish criticizing the behavior of the President of the United States. If I have been critical, it is because I believe it is my obligation to do so. And as a matter and duty, of conscience. I have decided that I would be better able to represent the people of Arizona and to better serve my country and my conscience by freeing myself of the political consideration that consumed far too much bandwidth and would cause me to compromise far too many principles. To that end, I am announcing today that my service in the Senate will conclude at the end of my term in early January 2019.
2: So he's got a year and a half left to cause problems for Donald Trump, which as much as we don't like him, if he is going to be in any measure a thorn in his side, that is something to look forward to, even though generally not a great guy. However, one more thing I want to add that I want to talk to you guys about it is that you might think his language is a little bit weak, but you have to keep in mind there are very strict rules and, and traditions about what kind of things you can say on the Senate floor about sit, sitting, sitting presidents and your, your colleagues in the Senate, both past and present.
3: Would something like Marla's email be allowed?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
3: Oh, it would? Yeah, probably. Okay, good. Yeah.
4: <laughs> probably.
2: So I think that, you know, if they catch him in an interview, he might light it up a little bit more than that. And that's what we're going to get to next. If you guys don't have anything, Bob Corker got ambushed by Manu Raju and went on for a six minute screed, not saying nice things.
4: Well, can I just make a quick comment about Jeff Lake? I'm pretty offended at what he's doing. I mean, didn't he just come out with a book? Didn't he just like write a book like the, the Principled Conservative or something like that? Yeah, This seems to me his career is already over. Yeah, he, he would probably get primaried if he were to run for re-election because his approval rating is that low. This seems to me like a very deliberate, very cynical pivot to whatever is the next step in his career. And him standing there and talking about risking his career to make these comments just seems like the most disingenuous thing to me. Um, I agree he's 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 LDS right he's Mormon yeah I used to be Mormon
3: oh I cannot believe this because I was just gesturing to him. I think that you were ignoring oh, me. Oh, you
2: were saying sermon.
3: Yes. It oh. sounded like a, a service at the Mormon church to me when he was yeah, talking. Yeah. That's so, what it reminded me of.
2: That's what your gestures were. I'm like, I can't hear you. <laughs> I don't know what you're saying.
3: Yes. Sorry, but go <laughs> ahead.
2: Yeah.
4: So well, I, so I used to be Mormon. I, I served a mission, a two-year mission like most Mormons do. And we're sort of encouraged within the church to go out and to 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 grandstand a little bit and to sort of bear our soul in an attempt to to i guess sort of speak our truth or whatever it is when i was involved in that it was always self-serving like i, I didn't really even maybe didn't even realize it at the time but it was sort of a, a way for me to sort of build you know to to build my own brand yeah and i that's what i think is happening here like he seems like not I'm not. I don't mean to say that all Mormons do this. Ah, uh, come on. A
2: lot of Mormons voted for Trump. Okay, but there there's, you can't have it both ways. There's be
4: this principled conservative, and then vote for that. Fuckhole. Sure, sure, sure. There's plenty of Mormons that are actually genuinely principled people that I love and I always will respect. But he sure. he seems like the type that has taken this modus operandi that we're taught in the Mormon Church and has used it for self-aggrandizement and i don't believe a word that he says yeah
3: so the title of the book is going to make it worse for you because it's actually conscience of a conservative a rejection of destructive politics and a return to principle yeah so it's almost as though he was reading the title of his book several times throughout that speech because he was saying those buzzwords over and over again
2: well, let's listen. Uh,
3: no, I have another thing. All right. Where has the conscience been this whole time? It's yeah. as though Donald Trump changed yesterday. No, so, he's been who he is this whole time. Look,
2: not to pick on Mormons, but it's like the other fucking Mormon, Jason Chaffetz. Right. Where the
4: fuck was he? Yeah. When their back is against the wall and there's nothing more for them to do and they, it seems like it's going to be the end of the road for them for whatever they're doing, they pivot with these grand gestures saying oh i'm gonna stake my claim and i'm gonna retire and i'm gonna i'm gonna do something that's really principled fuck off that is not principled wow i'm sorry i no that's great now Are we're you seeing your me?
3: range of emotion yeah.
4: <laughs> this is like i mean the reason why this upsets me so much is because this is like me 10 years ago right
3: mm. <laughs> yeah that makes sense
4: yeah uh. I'm sorry. No, are you kidding me? Back to very sophisticated, very calm, measured, Ivy League, educated (laughs) turn. (laughs) I promise I'll be that guy from here on out. Do you
3: have a good memory, too? Uh, Is it the best memory? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right,
4: good. (laughs) I I was a very nice student.
3: Yeah, a nice student.
2: Very nice student. Great grades. Perfect. So, Bob Corker, non-Mormon Bob Corker, like I said, was ambushed by Manu Raju, the CNN wonderkin, and he... Asked him straight up about Donald Trump being a liar. The first part of this is while they're rapidly walking in the marble halls of a Senate lobby, so it's a little clippity cloppity like there's you know the the fucking Budweiser Clydesdales are, are accompanying them. But eventually they stop and have a conversation, and it is good.
0: We did that. You didn't run for re-election because you couldn't get his endorsement. Uh, is that accurate? No,
7: it's not accurate. You know, nothing that he said in his tweets today uh, were truthful, you know, and he knows it and people around him know it, I, I would hope the staff over there would figure out ways of controlling him when they know that everything he said today was absolutely untrue. I mean, so,
0: you said he's an untruthful president, yeah, are you calling no him, there- no question?
7: Yeah, no question, I mean, I don't, we grew up in our family not using the L word, okay, mm-hmm. Uh and but yeah, just uh I mean, they're provable untruths. Provable. Um, so I mean on the Iran deal, everybody knows the role I played there and they're working with me, interestingly, right now, um, on uh on tax reform. I made the deal with Toomey that, you know, has allowed that to go forward. Um, obviously I wanna make sure it's done properly, but and then everything else. I mean, four times he encouraged me to run and told me he would endorse me. So I, I don't know. It's it's amazing. Unfortunately, I think world leaders are very aware that um, much of what he says is untrue. Uh, certainly, people here are because these things are provably untrue. I mean, just they're just factually incorrect, and people know the difference. So. I don't know why he lowers himself uh, to such a low, low standard and debases our country in the way that he does, but he does. And, uh, you know, look, I don't like responding. I, I, you know, you can let him go unanswered, but uh, uh, and it's just not me. to We don't do tweets like that. We've responded twice to, again, untruths. But, uh, you know, it's unfortunate that our nation finds itself... Um, in this place. Is the so, president of the United States a liar? The president uh, has great difficulty with the truth on many issues. Do you regret supporting him in the election? Uh, well, let's just put it this way. I would not do that again. So, you wouldn't support him no, again? No way. Mm-hmm. No, no way. No, I, I think that uh, he's proven himself uh, unable to rise to the occasion. I think many of us, me me included, have you know tried to you know, I've intervened. I've had private dinner. You know, I've been with him on multiple occasions to try to you know, create some kind of aspirational uh, uh, approach, if you will, to the way that he conducts himself. But uh, I don't think that that's possible, and um, uh, he's obviously not going to, to rise to the occasion as president. Do you think he's a role model to children in the United States? No, you don't. No, absolutely not. I think that. You know, the things that are happening right now that are, that are harmful to our nation, um, whether it's the breaking down of, we're going to be doing some hearings on some of the things that he purposely is breaking down, relationships we have around the world that have been useful to our nation, but I think at the end of the day, when his term is over, I think the debasing of our nation, um, the constant non-truth telling, the just the, the name-calling, the things like, I think the, the basement of our nation will be what he'll be remembered most for, and and that's regretful, um, um, and it affects young people. I mean, we have young people who, for the first time, are, you know, watching a president uh, stating, uh, you know, absolute non-truths, uh, non-stop, um, personalizing things in the way that he does, and. And it's, uh, it's it's very sad for our nation. So, do you, do you trust him with access to the nuclear codes? I don't want to go into, you know, I don't want to correct here. We're going to be, in our hearing process, certainly we're going to be addressing the fact that he, with only the one other person on the defense side, um, has tremendous powers. And, um, you know, I have a, um, uh, again, I don't want to, I don't want to carry this much further, but look, I, I expressed concerns a few weeks ago about his his leadership and just his stability and uh, the lack of desire to be competent on issues and understand. And and uh, you know, I, I nothing has changed. And um, but again, I, I don't want to make this a you know a daily issue. Um, you know. That we need to do, and and um, he he currently is is the person that from the executive side we have to deal with. And the shame of it is, there are some really good people around him. And um, if he would stay out of their way and let them uh, perform, people like Tillerson and Mattis and others, um, you know, we could really make progress on things that matter greatly to our country. But but. Um, out like this if you were not um i did that you know it's been building for months and you know that you've been covering this um look I, I came up here manu as a person who had a you know mission to be here for two terms and you know it was hard to say you were going to leave i no question but you know i followed through on that and and i think it's that that independence of knowing you aren't making this a career look it certainly makes a difference and i think the american people know that but uh um you know I, i don't know what else to say
2: while i appreciate senator bob corker from tennessee coming around and i'm going to talk about specifically what what was said there i have one question and that's what the fuck changed nothing has changed Trump is the same Trump as when Corker was supporting him. Trump is the same Trump as when Corker could have been VP, was considered for secretary of state. Trump was the same Trump then as he is now. So what the fuck changed? Seems like cowardice to me.
3: Well, listening to him talk was almost like listening to Lisa Bloom try to say that she was going to tutor Harvey Weinstein to help him learn how to interact with women. Bob Corker was saying he he was having meetings with him, trying to get him to understand how this works. Uh, you didn't see that that wasn't going to work out yeah, when come on, he dude. was chanting Lock her Up. And...
4: Well, I appreciate that there's probably no political advantage to him for having answered those questions candidly. Yeah. So there's no advantage for him to do that. And I, and I think he did answer them candidly. So I do appreciate that. But you're right. I mean, it, it was... The, Once he was in Trump's crosshairs is when he changed his tune.
2: Right. Once the attacks, personal.
4: Right. They affected him. Right.
2: Some some notable things. I stopped writing down when he started saying what Trump will be remembered for, and that's being a liar. But he he talked about the staff. They need to start controlling him. These are things that are going to outrage Trump. They're only going to inflame the inferno that burns within our dumbass president. He says provable untruths, constant provable untruths. That world leaders know he's a liar. That he lowers himself. That he debases the country. And there's no way he would support him again. He wouldn't do it again. That he's unable to rise to the occasion to be president of the United States. And that unequivocally he is not... A role model all of these things that that senator corker said are fucking spot on it just bothers me that it took him eight months into the presidency to say them and he also had a year and a half of campaigning to say them too that's a problem there is a problem there is a cancer within the republican party that is not just trump it is cowardice they are putting party ahead of country, in a way that, look, I- I'm not that old,
4: but I've never seen anything like this before. There is there is a you know some wisdom to the idea that you have to accept certain sure in- imperfect means to achieve the ends that you want to achieve because
2: you don't win a war in one battle. Yeah, you have to lose a few battles to win the war. That's fine.
4: Right. So you know I. I'm not shy about saying that I wasn't super thrilled about Hillary, but I thought that I'm she was clearly not shy. about. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I thought she was probably a means to some of the ends that I wanted to see happen in this country. And so I went along with that. But I think, you know, there reaches a point, And I think Trump is yeah. it was very early, very obviously at the point where it's not a tolerable means to that end. Yeah, and it's really it's 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 just it's hard to swallow that these guys are finally coming around. I agree with you. It, it, look, I'm happy about it. it. It is it's great. It's fucking finally
2: right. Uh, day late, dollar short. We'll accept it that it's happening because hopefully there will be some kind of a groundswell, some kind of a these are leaders in the Senate. Hopefully, they can sway their more pliable colleagues. So let's play a clip. Today, there was a bizarre short presser before, and presser is a, being very generous. Donald Trump had either just gotten off Marine 2, which is his helicopter, or was getting on it. And he talked to the press pool, and it did turn to, to David and Myesha Johnson. And he spent a lot more time talking about himself than he did them Let's listen to it and then talk about it.
8: I can only say this: I was really nice to her. I respect her. I respect her family. I certainly respect La David. Uh, He, who I, by the way, called La David right from the beginning, just so you understand. They put a chart in front. La David says La David Johnson. So I called right from the beginning. There's no hesitation. One of the great memories of all time. There was no hesitation. I think she's a fantastic woman. I was extremely nice to her, extremely respectful. Mr. Mr. You, you, made, you made four phone calls to four different families that day. Did you say anything different to Maisha Johnson than you did to any of the other three families? I would say, basically, we talk condolence. I mean, it's all about condolence, it's about warmth. In many cases, you listen because, in so many cases, one of the family families, they were saying, yes, he was a great football star. And honestly, they poured their heart out, John. It's the hardest calls. They pour their heart out.
3: One of the world's greatest memories. And when he did that, by the way, he pointed at his head. Oh, yeah. Just well, in case you were wondering where the memory.
2: He First of all, it doesn't jive with the thing he said right before it. He says, well, they wrote it down on a chart right in front of my stupid fucking face. It was right there. So from the very beginning, I was saying LaDavid Johnson. Then he says... One of the great memories of all time. Well, if it's written on a chart, you don't need to mention how great your memory is because it's right in front of your fucking face. One of those things is a
4: lot. Well, maybe both are. But certainly one is because one didn't need to be said if the other was. I mean, he can't even remember words that are more than two syllables. Tremendous. Oh, yeah. He's got one. How dare you? (laughs) He's got one or two of those. (laughs) Billions. Fantastic. (laughs) Beautiful. That's right. But they're, th- these are scripted. Right. Yeah, he's got like he's got like, you know, 10 or so of three syllable words and that's it.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then and then the other thing is when he says, "John Roberts from Fox, you know, asking a great question there. He says, "Listen, you made four phone calls that day. Did you say anything different to Maisha Johnson that you did to the others?" And he says, "Well, you know, it was four calls, you know, base, he doesn't answer. He doesn't say yes. Same thing was said. He, he doesn't say yes or no. He says, basically, he says the word basically, you know, it's about condolence and it's about warmth. What? That wasn't the question. So he, why is he avoiding the question?
3: Well, they also talked about football, he said. Yeah.
4: yeah. So the uh, Andy Borowitz, made, Andy Borowitz made a joke and I'm going to steal it real quick. But aren't you glad that we finally have a president that has the courage to stand up to war widows? Yeah. God damn. That is it. That to, is to, it. To contradict the story of War Widows.
3: It's so Unreal. tragic. Yeah. And I, I saw a meme that had the four soldiers on it and said, guess which one Trump is feuding yeah, with?
4: Yeah. The black guy.
3: And. It's hard to ignore that. I don't know with the problematic history that we have now. It's like everything just keeps adding up. And it's like, why is this the problem?
4: It sure is a strange coincidence, isn't it?
3: It is. I mean,
4: if there's going to be a
2: problem, it's invariably going to be with a person of color.
3: And that's why that question was so great. Well, what was different about this call? Because (laughs) the other ones haven't been controversial. So why is it this call?
2: Would you respect Trump more if he just said, well, he's black? You know, it's uh, just, just cut and dry. That's what it is. (laughs) Maybe it probably wouldn't even get him ejected from office. Even that. All right. Well, I mean, because of these coward Republicans.
4: The reason why this one is controversial, there is I mean, there is an alternative explanation. That's the fact that the that uh, Frederica Wilson, the congresswoman, got involved. And made it an issue to sort of call him out, called him out for for this one. Could there have been a worse congresswoman to do it? <laughs> I mean, he calls her wacky, Frederica Wilson.
2: He's not far off
4: the mark with those fucking cowboy hats. She's yeah, come she, on. She, she's got a wacky style about her. But uh, was, didn't on, you post man. a tweet
3: that Sheriff Clark was calling her yeah. out? <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah, yeah. Really? Was he really? Yeah.
3: Like he has any room to he talk? He called he called
4: her a buffoon <laughs> 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 with his
2: fake. Merit badges, fake and military shit. badges. Yeah, his
3: uh, his what's it called in Office Space? His god damn it, his I screwed up my joke. Flair. <laughs> flare, yeah, his pieces of flare,
4: <laughs> and the giant cowboy hat that he wears in Wisconsin.
3: Yeah, his
2: giant cowboy hat that makes him look like he has a little tiny pinhead. I mean, it look. It's probably like a normal-sized like, cowboy hat that looks like a 10-gallon hat. It's
3: like one of those foam cowboy hats you want yes. at the fair.
2: Yes, <laughs> he's getting dumb and dumber when he comes back from the liquor store.
4: He's probably the only guy in Wisconsin that wears a cowboy hat.
2: Uh, he's certainly the only <laughs> black guy in Wisconsin who wears a cowboy hat. <laughs> that is for sure. Oh, God. So anyway, Trump continued, and this was about how the media doesn't get him right they're reporting on him being a bad guy and he gives rock solid evidence as to why he's a nice guy
8: well i think the press makes me more uncivil than i am you know people don't understand i went to an ivy league college uh i was a nice student i did very well uh i'm a very intelligent person Uh, i you know the fact is i think i really believe i think the press uh creates a different image of Donald Trump than the real the real person. I think it's always okay when somebody says something about you that's false. I think it's always okay to counterpunch or to fight back.
3: Can you imagine being president of the United States and still feeling the need to reassure people that you're very intelligent and went to an Ivy League school?
4: Unbelievable.
3: What else do you have to prove? You are president of the United States. Why are you still so vulnerable?
4: Well, and I can attest that going to an Ivy League school does not automatically make one civil.
2: Yeah, of course not.
4: <laughs> I had a, I had you know a... what
2: makes one civil? Civility.
4: Right. Fuck! I, I had a colleague that accused one of my law professors of having like Down syndrome because he got a bad grade.
2: Wow, that's an entitled little prick there.
3: <laughs> wow,
4: that was something. He to was
3: the, to
2: the professor's face.
4: Yeah, in, <gasps> wow. Or, in, or I think in in written a uh, written communication.
3: What? He's a lawyer. You're not <laughs> supposed to put that in writing. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah. That was uh that was a pretty big to-do. Wow. Once that, once I would it, say that that's a around. big. So,
2: proof positive. Yeah. Going to an Ivy League institution uh, <laughs> of higher learning. Also
3: not very smart because he's putting that in writing. Isn't right. that one of the first things that right. you are like are told? Don't <laughs> leave a
4: paper trail. <laughs> yeah. Well, like like I said right before the One Chip Challenge, it doesn't always um, it doesn't grant wisdom. Right, right, right. <laughs> All this education and training. Right, not not what no not wisdom. wisdom, no wisdom. <laughs>
2: right. Yeah. Oh. But it is seriously. Who says constantly, "I'm an intelligent person"? I'm. Think of the most intelligent. How many times did fucking Einstein say, "Oh, I'm very <laughs> intelligent"? You think- That's a terrible accent. I'm sorry, everybody.
4: <laughs> you think uh, Stephen Hawking prefaces his books with yes. a little foreword? I am by intelligent. The way, <laughs> by the way, I'm very intelligent. So take this seriously. Yeah,
2: right. No, no I do very good work. Tremendous work. Believe me, it's the
4: best. I don't mind telling you. Right. Right before he expounds on his theory of everything.
3: (laughs) Talking about the intelligence, the Ivy League school, the greatest memory. I mean, it's too much.
2: It's way too much.
3: No one is uh, giving, showering him with compliments during the day. I mean, he is just starved for attention. He
4: he needs more of those round tables where everyone just sort of goes around and talks about how wonderful he is.
2: How blessed they are to serve
4: his agenda, Reince Priebus. He went
2: on a, a Twitter jag tonight talking about, well, if Jeff Flake and Bob Corker are so right about everything, then why would I get all the standing ovations tonight at the White House from the Senate, everybody? <laughs> They're just standing up and praising me. Yeah, It's because you're the president of the United... He doesn't understand the nuance. They're not maybe praising him. It's the office of the presidency. It's fucking lost on him because he's such a buffoon. He's a moron.
3: Well, what are they supposed to do? Turn their back on him like they're at yes. like a graduation or something? Not show up
2: would be one. Yeah. yeah.
3: Or boo him mm, while he's talking. Yeah. I mean, what what does he expect that they would do to show that they are not happy with him? Start
2: a round robin chant, moron, moron. I guess that wouldn't be round robin. That would just be chant. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. We've got two, three other topics we want to talk about. Uh, I almost called you Brett. Drew came in with one today to talk about and then we have two others we're gonna to have to push one of them so we are going to talk about the clinton campaign's involvement with getting uh the dossier on trump we're gonna push that till next time <gasps> we're gonna push it till next time i am sorry we had to we have to ditch one we're over an hour right now so let's start with what you want to talk about yeah Okay, which uh. is this? This uh, the Senate tamping down the ability for groups to enter into class action lawsuits, which inev- inevitably protects fucking Equifax.
4: Right. So, all right, just to give you a little bit of background. We love background. Drama. Yeah. So the Con- Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was created in the wake of 20, uh, 2008, the financial housing yeah. and the housing crisis... That caused the collapse. It was meant and it was designed to prevent the abuses of financial institutions. And one of the ways that financial institutions are held accountable for their abuses is through lawsuits by, yeah. by aggrieved parties. Because the government never fucking does anything to them. Right. So uh, this is getting a little wonky, but to sort of talk about like how these regulatory bodies like the CFPB uh, operate, they promulgate rules they create rules about how financial institutions have to behave through a very extended process uh called the rulemaking process which involves a lot of commentary from the public a lot of commentary from experts and then the experts within the bureau come up with the rule that they think is going to be the best way of protecting the public while also being the least onerous on businesses yes so they came up with this rule
2: Try to strike a balance
4: yeah so they came up with this rule that essentially said that financial institutions cannot enforce arbitration agreements with individuals when there's a class action lawsuit pending. Mm. So arbitration agreements, this is the bane of my existence as a plaintiff's attorney, right? So arbitration agreements, what that is, is that it's two it's when a, an institution and an individual enter into an agreement that their dispute will not be resolved in court but in a private arbitration setting. It's like a private court. Yeah, like a retired judge
2: or something. He yeah. He just he hears the facts, and he decides, and then both parties agree that whatever Judge Dingleberry says is what you go with.
4: Right. So businesses love arbitration. Right. And the reason that they love arbitration is for... Th- no jury. Yeah. Well, there's three reasons. Number one is that they get to pick who their finder of fact is right (laughs) so they get to pick who their arbitrator is they have they have at least 50 percent of the say in that um and they will always and invariably pick arbitrators that are friendly to business that don't want to give big awards to plaintiffs second reason is because because of that that usually and statistically means that the amount that it's awarded Yeah, yeah, yeah speak slower Marla might be still listening. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Sorry, talk, Marla. Talk real slow. Sorry, Marla. All right, so statist- All this pseudo-intellectual stati- <laughs> nonsense. <laughs> Statistically, that means that the plaintiffs, the injured parties that bring these lawsuits and go to arbitration, get much, much smaller awards. Yeah. Much smaller. And uh, third, arbitration costs money. So you have to pay this private arbitrator $20,000, $40,000. So that actually prevents a lot of lawsuits. So people don't actually even go through the motions because they can't afford to pay the arbitrator. Yeah, outplay. sure. So businesses love that, and it's very obvious to anyone that pays any attention to to these uh, to these issues that arbitration has been really deleterious towards consumers. Like consumers are not able to uh, vindicate their rights meaningfully because of a lot of these arbitration a lot of these arbitration agreements. So. After doing all this research, after doing all this notice and comment period, after taking all the expert opinions into account and creating this rule, which was meant to protect consumers, Congress, without doing the same, because they have this law that says that they can just veto that's a, right. a regulatory rule, they just go ahead and— Well, that's the, that's the way the system's set up, though, well, it's that they all- can veto a regulatory rule because they are the statutory creating body. Right, but that's only been true since like nineteen ninety six. This was a law that was passed uh, under the Gingrich in the Gingrich era, hmm. and Bill Clinton signed it. Hmm. And it was a it was a business friendly friendly law because, you know, it, we started to you know to drift more towards like a conservative, a conservative we way of doing did, things. Certainly did, yeah. So, but the, so that's only been true for the last twenty years. But they so they you have six, they have sixty days to do it. They did it. And consumers are going to suffer, and it's it's it sucks because a lot of work was put into this, a lot of thought was put into this, and now uh, people that are aggrieved by like Wells Fargo who committed fraud against their consumers, and now we're finding out even more how many more yeah were were, were harmed right. by Wells Fargo. Right. So a lot of people that are that uh, well, were let's really bring it harmed.
2: current. I mean, that's pretty current. But let's talk about Equifax. Yeah. They they. If you went on and signed up for their their consumer protection, their their credit protection, you signed. I think they said they waived it, but I don't know. Well, they
3: also did it in a very surreptitious way, didn't they, where you didn't necessarily know what you were signing up for. Yeah, it's like, you like your thought, terms
2: of service with iTunes.
3: Yeah, you thought you were going to check to see if you were affected, and then you like clicked next or something. And signed up for something that they weren't clearly stating, and then all of a sudden,
2: which was agreed, done. You won't, you won't. You you don't have the ability to sue us anymore. We're going to enter into arbitration right. to settle
4: this. Yeah, yeah. So which th- which this completely takes them. They're in the clear. Well, and it, it's it's so perverse because when companies don't face that kind of liability for messing up the way that Equifax did, mm. they're not going to safeguard against it. It's too right. expensive to do it. Um, when i did uh when I did nursing home litigation, nursing homes would literally not take care of their patients and not not make sure that they had high quality standard of care because they knew that arbit- like no one would ever take right. an arbitration little to no um recompense yeah jesus so it's it's so right it's so upsetting that company. i mean this and the big businesses have been pushing for this and pushing for this and pushing for this because. They're not going to be held accountable, yeah. and so they're not going to spend the money to sh- uh, to shore up protections, and consumers are going to suffer. And I'm just really upset about it. And well, it's important stuff. It's important stuff. You um, hear that, Marla? This does matter. Yeah, very important stuff we're talking about.
3: Well, you, do you think when you hear people <laughs> talk about um, being more pro business that they just don't understand the nuance of these kinds of arguments?
4: Yeah, I mean, most people wouldn't. I mean, how would you? Right? Mm. I mean, I. Barely understand it myself, and I, you know, I, I, practice in this field. I fell asleep for like three minutes during that whole thing, so yeah.
2: I, get I was it.
3: wide awake.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, on to the next. The other one is the the, the authorization of use of military force in the constitution. Actually, uh, Chris Cuomo does a good job of explaining this clip about Article One, Section Eight of the Constitution and where the the war powers reside, the power to declare war. I'm going to let him explain what is going on because right now the congress is is taking up the the subject again about the the authorization for use of military force and all because of this niger thing so let's have chris cuomo in in a a very brief clip explain it and then we'll talk about why this is so important to get right
9: the law is clear Fact. Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution lays out the powers of Congress, and one of the most prominent is the power to declare war. They're supposed to hear a case from the president and military advisors and vote on whether or not to put U.S. blood on the line. So what happened? In 1973, in the wake of the horrors of Vietnam, Congress reaffirmed its role with something called the War Powers Resolution. It repeated The president can only send armed forces into action after a declaration of war with specific statutory authorization, AUMF, or in the case of an attack upon the United States. That, of course, is exactly what happened on September 11th. So a week later, Congress passed an AUMF allowing the president to strike back, get after the 9-11 perpetrators, or, as every president since has interpreted it, associated forces. Turns out that has meant everyone, from ISIS to Bashir al-Assad to Saddam Hussein. Speaking of which, in 2002, Congress passed another AUMF, and this is an important fact, all right? This one allowed President George W. Bush to attack Iraq. It is used as part of the justification um, because, why? Al-Qaeda was there, tied it back to the original 9-11 AUMF. But what happened in Iraq, we all know what happened there and many in Congress felt burned by the intel failures and as a result they didn't want to own this anymore and it would be the last use of force Congress has actually authorized. The most glaring example of Congress punting on a constitutional duty is what happened in 2013. Syria's Assad was believed to use chemical weapons against his own people. The story would be that Obama vacillated on his own red line and there was room for criticism there but He did go to Congress and ask for an AUMF. Congress wanted nothing to do with it. The bill stalled. Nothing happened. Right move, wrong move is not the issue. It's that Congress didn't want to do its duty. Obama did eventually bomb ISIS targets in Syria anyway, and ironically claimed he was authorized by, you guessed it, the 2001 AUMF. So right now, we have troops all over the world in ugly conflicts you don't even know about. But the duty to make the case and vote on this risk of blood and treasure has been avoided by this weak rationale that it is all related to 9-11 and that AUMF. Our troops are just advising, like in Niger, where they died. Advisors like the four men and their families We're told their sacrifice is sacred. So the question becomes, when will our lawmakers respect what is sacred and do their duty by fulfilling this need to
2: debate and authorize military force. A couple of things. First of all, a couple of years ago, when all that was going on with Obama, talking about advisors. No, we're not going to have boots on the ground. They're going to have an advisory role. If any of you were listening two years ago, I was screaming like I scream now about how that is bullshit. That is boots on the ground. There's no way to redefine them and give them a different duty. If they're carrying a weapon that has live rounds in it, they are boots on the fucking ground. They are in harm's way. They are combat troops. When the shit hits the fan and rounds are coming downrange, they are in harm's way. They're not in an advisory role. The other thing is about the division of powers in our government. Our founders, as flawed as they were, understood the precarious nature of power and the effects it has on men, men at the time, men and women. And they knew they needed to separate, giving Congress the power to declare war. Our civilian commander-in-chief, the President of the United States, does command the troops but he cannot declare war on his own he needs the representation of the united states we the people to do it then he can send troops into harm's way and this congress this feckless cowardly fucking congress is a-okay with having that power where it rests squarely on donald trump or any other president, and that's not the way the system was set up.
4: It's hard to it's hard to really add much to what Chris Cuomo was saying because that's absolutely right. This is uh, this is a duty of Congress if they're serious about taking care of biz worldwide. Yes, they need to.
3: Good job, Drew. <laughs>
4: <laughs> you guys are growing on me. Finally, like a bacteria, <laughs> they need to do their duty and they need to reauthorize yeah. it and. I mean, the, the whole war on ISIS is really, really tenuous. Uh, every, like, every military operation taken against them has rested upon this 2001 AUMF. Which is 16 years ago. It's almost a generation right. ago. Right. And there is, there is some connection between Al-Qaeda, which was specifically articulated in the 2001 AUMF, uh, and ISIS. But they have since, you know, uh, they've split. There's a schism there they they're not buddies like they're they're actually in competition with one another
2: ISIS and al-Qaeda Yeah. Absolutely.
4: Yeah. So I mean you can't just look at the entire Mus- you know Muslim world or, or just Sunni
2: Muslims both groups are sunnis yeah. or you even can't like, do that.
4: or even the you know the entire like jihadist world yeah. and say they're all the same. No they're not the same. Like if you're going to authorize action against one uh, against an enemy you should probably be very specific about it so that you don't invest the president of the United States with the kind of power that Donald Trump currently has. Well,
2: and, uh, sorry, at the very least, what they need to do is have it sunset, right. just like they do with gun regulations. Right. Oh, we're going to have an assault weapons ban, but it's going to sunset in five to seven years because then we'll readdress it. Well, you can readdress the 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 authorization for the f- use of military force.
4: Yeah. And, and I'll admit, and this is a mea culpa, I trusted Obama with this power. Like when this when Obama was sorta of taking the reins and, you know, taking it to ISIS, I was comfortable with it because I trusted him as a person. Yeah. But admittedly, that was violative of the process. And now that we have someone that isn't Obama in the White House, it's very clear why that process exists. That's exactly right. And that separation of powers is so important.
2: Well, it's the same reason that logic you just used is the same reason why I'm telling people to calm the fuck down about the twenty fifth amendment. We don't want it to be easy to remove a president. I've been screaming about it because next time when it's our guy or gal in there, you don't want them to be able to finagle it and, and get them booted out for some bullshit reason.
4: True. But at the very least, we really need to know the mechanism of the 50- 25th Amendment because we have no idea like how that's even going right, to work. Right,
2: right, right. Well, because when it was written, it, I think it was hastily written, first of all. Yeah. But anyway, that's another that's a topic for another day. Quit trying to sidetrack me. I know what you're doing. Sorry, man. That's a
4: big old punt. Fucking bullshit.
2: So speaking of taking care of biz, Drew, thank you for segueing our segment.
3: Taking care of biz. JTAP.
2: Of course it's JTAP. Jake Tapper. Jake Tapper from CNN.
3: Yes, he was on with Stephen Colbert, and they had a beautiful interview. A little, uh,
2: little chat ski. Yeah.
3: Yes, talking about Jake Tapper's tweets because he is savage on Twitter, mm-hmm. and if you don't follow him on Twitter, you need to because sometimes he spars with Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, it's
2: not just the news. No, it, it is. It's some 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 good times
3: taking care of biz.
2: Um. Bill O'Reilly uh, took a
5: poke at you a couple of days ago, and you responded uh, with uh, lightning speed. You, you, you tweeted this. He tweeted this at you. Sean Hannity kicking serious
9: butt in ratings. Tapper on CNN as low as you can go. Within 10 minutes... Which, which, by minutes- the way, just fact check. Like, our ratings are fine. I, he, was just, he just wanted to take a shot at me because I had been mentioning him as a sexual predator on air when we were covering the <laughs> Harvey Weinstein scandal. we also pointing out that... Also pointing out... But this is, this Weinstein is not the only one, They're, you know, that, that O'Reilly and, and Ailes were horrific sexual predators at Fox. And uh, within 10 minutes, you tweeted back, Lowe would be sexually harassing staffers and then getting fired for it,
5: humiliated in front of the world. Now that would be Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what to ask about this. I just wanted to share with everybody. That I mean, a very, is, you're a
9: very mean person, Jake Tapper. I'm, a, you know, I'm a journalist, so I like to explain things, and I th- felt he was using the word "low" incorrectly. <laughs> um, yeah, that's true. That's true. That they're true. You know, ratings go up and ratings go down, but that's low.
3: So Bill O'Reilly deserves this because yes. he is very obnoxious on Twitter. I don't know if you guys read his tweets, but he is always tweeting, telling people to go read the real story on Bill O'Reilly.com dot com and <laughs> Jesus, trying, really? tr- trying to control the narrative of whatever is breaking. Um, you know, you saw the video. Now he's mad at God for not protecting him uh. from the sexual harassment allegations. He's mad at God. For not protecting him. The
2: New Yorker had a very funny cartoon that you sent me, and it's God in therapy, about laying back on a couch with a the
4: classic therapist there. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, Bill O'Reilly's mad at me. <laughs> okay. Like I'm sorry. Gretchen and Gretchen Carlson made the point. You don't pay out thirty-two million dollars in a settlement if yeah. it's not a good case. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't happen. Yes. W- what did Megan Kelly call it? A nuisance. It's not a oh, nuisance, nuisance claim. Right. Yeah. A, nu- a yeah. nuisance payout is five thousand bucks. Right, right. Well, yeah. if you're, what well, if you're a
2: multi tens of millions of dollars, you know, maybe uh, ten thousand, yeah, five hundred grand, maybe,
4: maybe at the very yeah. most. Okay, yeah, but not thirty-two million dollars. No, no, that's that's you 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 get a thirty-two million dollar settlement after the discovery has been completed, after you get like testimony on record, after the lawyers have looked at the documents and have seen the confessions. There's evidence yeah. there. We're not going to see it because it's a confidential settlement agreement, but there no, is, there part, is of
2: the, part of the agreement we've learned is that they delete the evidence. Right. And then the payments start, because it's not a lump sum, he continues to pay them over time.
4: Right. So we're we'll never we'll, we'll never see that that, but it's there. Like there's there are smoking guns there. Just for the sure. number tells us yeah. that. Yeah. This the number yeah. tells us that there are smoking guns.
3: I do want to give Gretchen a little more credit since it is taking care of Biz. Ugh. I know you don't like her, but her tweet that you're referencing is great because Bill O'Reilly posted these thank you notes that Gretchen Carlson and Megan Kelly wrote him for something i don't know what they were for it was like a
2: baby shower and then he had uh her husband on the show to promote
7: his book
3: yeah and so they said thank you you know for being my mentor and my friend or whatever and so this is proof that he hasn't sexually harassed anyone in his life (laughs) Um, A, a
2: social courtesy which is what a thank you card is yeah is that and
3: so she retweeted the tweet about the thank you notes and said yeah, that's fine. Still paid $32 million. <laughs> Like <laughs> you're, you, you can't get away from this. Yeah. You know, No matter what you say, you cannot get away from that.
2: No kidding. All right. Well, listen, we have gone long, and that is okay. This was a good show. We appreciate you guys. We love you guys. As I said in the beginning, we are proud of what all of us together have built here. It means uh, a lot to us. And we, we cherish every day, every episode that you join us, that you call in, that you write in, that you interact on the Facebook page or or mention us on Twitter. You guys are the best audience in podcasting. That's not some dumb thing that a host says. I, re- I feel that. I really feel it. You guys are awesome. We are going to leave you, though. Until next time, for Britney Page, Drew Levine. Hello, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. Goddamn you guys.
3: (laughs) If I sound like I talk like this, that's great, because I'm white trash, and I come from white trash, and if someone hears this when I'm talking, I am super happy. Over the moon. (laughs) That is great. That is perfect.